when you're a young, nervous civilization about to send out its first deep space probe, you want to make sure whoever finds it is going to want to be your friend. And the best way to do that is to send a mixtape. Earth's Mixtape is the podcast where we dive into the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. One song at a time, one picture at a time, one whale song at a time. Welcome back to Earth's Mixtape. This is the podcast where we review the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. I'm Mike Dunlavy, and with me as always is... Roby Austin. And... Hannah Ayler. This episode will be discussing a musical selection from Germany, along with the final eight photos from the photo archive. Also, get ready to hear our long-promised Golden Record wedding playlists. So let's begin. talking about track 27 from the music of earth track 27 the final track is called string quartet number 13 in b flat opus 130 cavatina it runs six minutes and 37 seconds was composed by ludwig von beethoven and performed by the budapest string quartet and it's a very very sad piece to end with this is yes this is a very 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 sad piece um it's a very emotional piece as i think all beethoven is Uh, But the emotion of this piece is definitely sadness. What makes it sad? What about this piece of music elicits sadness? Something with the violin and how much vibrato it has, I guess. There's a thing called a tessitura, which actually I can't remember hearing. But, no, there are some in there where you hold a note. You hold a note for a long time and then you go down a little bit. They use it. And and it is commonly associated with sad responses from Western music listeners. Interesting. It's, It's... it's also used to great effect in the Adele song, Someone Like You. <laughs> I don't know that song. I'll take your word for it. Uh, so I have down here that a catavina is an operatic song characterized by clarity, even tempo, and simplicity. And that in this piece, Beethoven wrote the singer's part as the violin. So the, the, the form of this piece is, is an opera. That's pretty cool. And it's referred to in Murmurs of Earth as Beethoven's most emotional slow movement. Most emotional slow movement. The prize for. (laughs) Which I will admit made me giggle a little. Yeah. (laughs) A contemporary of Beethoven, a friend of his named Charles Holtz, talked about Beethoven would be moved to tears just thinking about this piece. I should say he wrote it two years before his death. So by then he was deaf anyway. So he was well into his decline. Absolutely. I almost tear up when I listen to it. So I can see how that would be the case. There's a music scholar named Joseph de Marliov who said, quote, An agonizing entreaty, an intolerable longing for happiness and peace, a longing broken with sobs that break from the music with deeper intensity of feeling than even the living voice of the musician could express. So it's fairly heavy. We all agree it's a sad. <laughs> so do they say why they chose such a sad piece for the record? Uh, there are some notes about how... You know, the, the sadness and loneliness of the Voyager going off into the infinite and that there was a certain, yeah, feeling of yeah. this is going to be a long trip. There's a certain al- solitude and loneliness to the trip and that this piece could elicit the feelings associated yeah. with that. It's definitely easy to picture a lonely spacecraft in the dark void of space as you listen to this song. So we talked about in the last episode, there was a lot of blues included on the record. There was the melancholy blues and the dark was the night, cold was the ground. There is this. It was the 70s where people just kind of down. 
Was this, was this that American malaise I've heard so much about? I don't know. Disco tells me otherwise. Mm. <laughs> but, but Where's the disco on this record? Well, there's nothing past Johnny Be Good. Damn. So, okay, round, round the table. What disco song would you have put oh, on? Geez. Hannah. I don't know a lot of disco songs. Ruby. Oh, well, Dancing Queen. Dancing Queen's oh, a good one. Yeah, I'd have to second that. It's just, a, I mean, I, I'm sorry to all the disco aficionados out there, but I, I chose the one that came first to my head. I, I, might, I might put in a vote for Do the Hustle. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. <laughs> Come on, Hannah. I don't, I don't know what classifies as disco. Okay, so now I have Do the Hustle in my head. <laughs> Everybody does. Everybody listening does. Why should you be any different? <laughs> Hannah can't think of anything I, else. Now. I can't, no. I no. wasn't alive in the 70s. <laughs> I was barely alive in the 70s. <laughs> Mike had a rough childhood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're joking to get over our melancholy induced by the Catavina. So it was a, a deliberate choice to have it be the last song. I think so, yeah. I think it's a good choice. I think it's pretty appropriate. I think, but the, so it's a very sad song, but the ending of it, like the last 30 seconds or so, I think it kind of gets really hopeful and it picks up and it sort of, I thought it sort of ends on a hopeful note and I, I thought it was pretty beautiful. That's good. And congratulations on getting to the end and waiting, you know, Thanks. holding out hope for the hope. Yeah, I was stifling black some tears. So am I allowed to ask what happens when we wake up on an alien spaceship? The hottest Segment in podcasting. <laughs> what happens when Hannah wakes up on a spaceship and hears this incredibly sad song? Um, so my initial reaction, I think, would be that I had just been rescued from the planet Earth as it was being destroyed. So you wake up and Earth had just been destroyed. And this is playing as you look out the window over our decimated planet. So you, so this is a thumbs down? So it's good that I've just been saved from oh, <laughs> but, this Earth being but destroyed. But Mike and but I are dead now, so we're sad about that. Is <laughs> lost. Okay, so, so Earth is destroyed. You're For sad, some reason you're they chose about me. That. Well, you're, you're a perfectly fine choice. But it, it, in <laughs> Thank the, you. In the last 30 seconds, you get over it. And it's like, we'll have to rebuild humanity. We'll find a new Earth. But, the, so, but that last 30 seconds of hope you heard in the song is you saying, I will go on. I, yes. I will I propagate will the human race. By yourself. <laughs> There's probably technology that you can clone. It'll be a race of Hannah's. <laughs> I can think of worse things. I mean, I really, I'm, I'm all in favor. Hey, aliens. I'm, I'm trying. If you're thinking of who to save. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find a way to turn the word humanity into humanity. 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 That's where we're heading, listeners, <laughs> as we talk about the last bit of music on this record. For better we're, or worse. We're heading for a future of humanity. As long as there's some dogs that have been saved, too, it'll, it'll all work no, out. No dogs. Well, what? you know, maybe there's the next cell over. There's Finnegan there. Yeah. So your hope is, <laughs> is not that your fellow humans have been saved. My dog. But that you have, not just any dog, <laughs> your dog. He's a good dog. He is a good dog. Yeah, further the canine species with him, I think. Okay. <laughs> Humanity and cane finiginity. So I'd worry that I woke up in the middle of an alien funeral that was caused in some way in conjunction with my arrival on the spaceship, and uh, I'd be nervous. But I think if I woke up on an alien spaceship, I'd be nervous, so there's that. Yeah, this isn't making you feel better. No, no. Maybe you're all alone, and they've given you. They said, "Oh, this is the last track from that uh, golden record. That'll that'll comfort her in the long run." It's true. If you had some particularly sadistic aliens who were, "Oh, thank you for this record. You are now going to listen to it before we kill you." 
That's when you play the songs to Vivisect to, which oh. includes the Queen of the Night aria. That was the Vivisection song? I believe so. Okay. So then you're already dead by the time the Catavina plays. In your scenario, yes. So you're, you're Vivisected Queen of the Night, which I think is about halfway through. And so then Finnegan is just looking at your dead corpse on the <laughs> with table the with the Catavina played. talk about the last group of photos from the Photos of Earth archive. We're going to start with picture 109, which is entitled Radio Telescope Westerbrook Interferometer. And this photo is by James P. Blair of the National Geographic Society. And it shows an array of radio telescopes all pointing in the same direction, while in the foreground, a couple dozen bicyclists are going by, giving scale to the photo. And one of them is maybe pointing at the telescopes. Or signaling a right turn. <laughs> could one of be. The two. But probably, it looks like a tour. It looks like it could be a tour, and it's the guy in front pointing. It seems like there's some special connection between radio telescopes and bicyclists that the OSPs would try to draw from this picture, even though they're very unrelated. Uh, yes, I think that would be a fair comment. They do say in Murmurs of Earth that the dishes could be interpreted as radio astronomy receivers like the shape of it and the spacing between the wires on the hmm. dish could make its function obvious or at least discernible. That's good. Yep. This is another sign that giving the OSPs, the outer space people, a sign that we are listening. So they better watch what they say. Because we're listening. <laughs> and that takes us to picture 110 titled Arecibo Observatory. This is by our old friend Herman Eckelman of the NAIC, and this shows the single-dish radio-slash-radar telescope in Puerto Rico, which at the time, in 1977, was the largest radio telescope in the world. And it has a length scale on the dish. Yay! And it has a length scale. The dish is 305 meters in diameter. And Golden Record producer Drake was the director of the NAIC and used Arecibo for uh, basically SETI work. Used it for searching for signs of extraterrestrial communication in the uh, radio band. That would be SETC, the search for extraterrestrial communication. So the Arecibo telescope sent out a radio message in 1974 called the Arecibo message, um, which was a message made of of binary uh, telling anyone who might find it a little bit about us. So this was kind of the precursor to our golden record, just using binary. has stuff about DNA and our numbers and what we look like and information about our solar system as well. This was also sent, this was also made by Frank Drake and Carl Sagan as well. So basically any information that outer space people are ever going to find about us is going to be Frank Drake and Carl Sagan's impression of us because they're apparently in charge of all the communications to any extraterrestrial intelligence. They are the ones who took an interest. They're graffiti artists is what they are. (laughs) Or possibly dogs spreading their scent around the universe. I wish they were dogs. (laughs) Better pictures. That that sounds like a curse. (laughs) The Arecibo Observatory was also used in a James Bond movie as an evil villain's lair. Also was featured in an X-Files episode. And the movie Contact. Moving on now to picture 111, entitled Page from a Book. This is a picture taken from a book at the Cornell University Library. It is from the book System of the World by Isaac Newton. And it is exactly that. It is a page from Newton's manuscript, I assume a copy, 
uh, showing how orbital mechanics work. There's a page of text, and on the facing page, there is a diagram of a cannon shooting a cannonball at different velocities until it reaches the point where the cannonball orbits the Earth. There's also a thumb and a finger turning the corner of the page in the top right. Yes. So you can see that it is uh, paper-like. You can see there's more behind the picture. Yes. If you're going to send a picture of a book, I think that's a good choice. Yeah. Thumbs up. Moving on to picture 112, entitled Astronaut in Space. And this was a photo taken by NASA. It was sent in color, and it shows astronaut James McDivitt on a spacewalk on the Gemini orbital flight. And here we see humans in space. Nearly recognizable as a human. Yeah, spacesuit in space probably (laughs) is what is really being shown. But we can all assume that there's a human in there. And Gemini was the post-Mercury pre-Apollo series of space flights where they were doing a lot of things like testing all the things that would go into an Apollo flight. Like, can you stay in space that long? Can you do spacewalks? Can you do docking and various maneuvers? Do we know who the astronaut is? James McDivitt, I said. Oh, sorry. Cut that out then. No, leaving that in. (laughs) (laughs) You know, earlier we had the Earth with a hand next to it for scale. Oh. Is this going to work out for that scale, I wonder? It might be a little, his hand might be a little bit small compared to the Earth relative to that great big hand that we had that hand way was back. the size of australia i don't yeah, I yeah his, his hand, hand is a little smaller small. than australia they could just assume he's very far away <laughs> 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 they could just assume that he's about 20 miles from the camera <laughs> all right but yeah i think this is this is nice showing off to the osps that we can float in space yeah and that takes us to picture 113 entitled titan centaur launch also by nasa And it shows the Viking probe to Mars being launched on top of a Titan rocket. This launch was in 1975, so two years before the Voyager launch. It's a very similar rocket to the one that sent Voyager into space. There's a palm tree in the foreground, which I'm kind of bummed they didn't put a length scale on the rocket because you can't really tell that the rocket is a lot further away than the palm tree and they look about the same size. Yeah, when I'm sure th- that is not the case. That's a very good point. They're, they do look similar sized. There is also a palm tree in the very, very close foreground. Like the right side of the picture is a palm trunk. Oh, so oh, yeah. And so there's a that. little bit of palm frond up at the top, which might give you a little bit more of a sense that the palm tree in the dist or the palm mm-hmm. tree on the left is is far away, and then the rocket has to be even farther. But I quite agree. Wouldn't it be easier just to give them a length scale? Like how how hard would it be? Well, you could say it would be hard because the back. It's this launch was done at night, and all of their lens scales, all of their labels they put on were in black type. Doesn't mean it can't be in white. Well, doesn't it? They could yeah. write in that? black on the smoke how high up it is, and you'd still get a sense of scale. Uh, okay. There are ways, and we just thought of one right now in like <laughs> two and a half seconds, and we didn't even have six months to think it over. I'm just saying. <laughs> Duly noted. Uh, We're now going to talk about picture 114, entitled Sunset. This is a photo by David Harvey from Woodfin Camp Incorporated. And it's a picture of a very, very pretty sunset over water with lots of reds and oranges. This photo was encoded in color. Oh, good. We see reddening of the atmosphere, which would give the OSPs information. And they note in Murmurs of Earth... Quote, one picture ought to be chosen purely for its beauty, unquote. And then they go on and talk about how the reddening of the atmosphere. (laughs) Also, there are lots of birds in the sky. 
there was, yeah, there's what looks like a flock of geese. Mm -hmm. The photographer, David Harvey, also took another photo in the photo archive. He took photo 35, which was the, if you can remember, it was a guy holding his daughter up on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. That was a nice one, too. It was. So he has two photos on here, and I think they're both winners. Way to go, David. And then the next two photos, the last two photos, are music-related, moving away from space and atmosphere. Picture 115 is entitled String Quartet. It is a photo copyright phonogram international, and it shows the Quartetto Italiano playing that string music. I'm sorry that it's not the same string quartet that played the Beethoven Quartet. And it shows music as a social activity, and it shows people playing violin, viola, uh, cello, which are all very similar looking instruments, just on different length scale. If I were going to choose one musical instrument picture to send, I probably wouldn't have chosen a bowed instrument. I mean, I know this shows that it's a social activity, but bows are kind of weird ways to get sound out of a string. And so you could show instead somebody playing guitar or you could show somebody blowing into a flute that has holes in it, as I thought. I don't know if you remember Mm. when we were talking about the uh, Mexican piece of music, El Cascabel, we talked about the instruments that were played by mariachi bands where you had a line of guys holding guitars and the the large... The guy playing the thing that looks like a stand-up bass. Yeah, as a guitar. And so yeah. you could have done a similar thing with, with a mariachi band, yeah. Oh, just yeah, to or have the social aspect. Yeah. And still yeah. have the... Yeah. But, this, but again, th- there's nothing really wrong with this There's nothing photo. offensive about this photo, no. <laughs> <laughs> there's even a lady in the string quartet, which for 1977 wasn't bad. Yeah, and it looks like the cello guy is might be ruining the carpet underneath with the spike. <laughs> it looks like the carpet is crunched up a bit. But now we're going to talk about picture 116, the last photo of the photo archive, and it's entitled Score of Quartet and Violin. And so what we have here is a picture of a violin underneath which we have the score from the Cavatina that we just spoke about at the beginning of this episode. But they encoded a few seconds of the Cavatina right after this photo. <gasps> oh! To match, to, make it, to it, make it clear that there was some interaction. They, they were hoping that the OSPs would be able to... Um, to learn sheet music. At least understand, maybe, that there was some connection between the different frequencies being played and the dots on the, on the lines. I am glad to hear that. Yeah, that's that strikes me as more clever than usual. Yeah, yeah. more complete, together. more information. Yep. Good. Yep. Actual. Yeah. Let's relate these two. And that's it. We're out of photos. So I said this was the last photo. Was it actually the last photo, Hannah? Oh no, there are six more photos. And what do those six photos uh, show? <sighs> these photos have writing on them. Uh, there is a statement from President Jimmy Carter that he wrote out. And then there are four photos listing names of people of the U.S. government. Basically the people there who paid. There is a total of, yeah, the people who paid for it. Um, a total of 94 names listed out. So th- you could have had six extra dog photos on here. Come on. You don't need these names of these old dudes. If they really cared about the names, they would have not put acronyms on, like, because the, there's no way that the space people are going to know what a HUD is. They list people as being from HUD subcommittees. Yeah. and But let's be honest, these six photos aren't for the OSPs. Oh, no. They're for the people who want to feel like they got their name on a thing, and these are the people who are signing off on NASA's budget, and this seems to be just the price of the game. Seems Not so fun fact. <laughs> 94 names listed, two of them are women. 
Are you've checked every single one? No, but I don't think Ernest or Russell. Yeah, and are you one hundred percent confident that Marilyn is a, is not okay. a dude? Estimation that two are women. <laughs> Going by traditional naming, traditional, Western naming yeah. culture. Yeah, it appears there are about two women okay, in yeah. ninety four. That's a yeah. better way to put it. And you're, 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 I mean, we're giving you a hard time, but we yeah. we, we take your point, yeah. and it's an important one. This was nineteen seventy seven, and it's probably not that much better. I mean, it is a little better now, but only a little. Only a little. Not not forty years better. Not not two generations better, let's say. Yeah, I mean, quite. I mean, just looking at some of these names, a lot of these people are dead now. Not all, though. No, I mean, all. it's forty years. Jimmy Carter's still alive. He's still alive. That's yeah, still building houses, and let's hope that's still the case in eight <laughs> months from now when this episode is released. <laughs> Excellent point. So, if I were a politician pouring money into NASA. I'd probably be pretty happy to see my name going into yeah, space. Yeah, I think it's a good incentive. Like, oh, we're putting this thing into space. Give us money and your name will be on it. It's like how people name stars. Like, they're, you're not actually naming a star. You're it just getting a piece of paper. It's more like how Kickstarter works. If yeah. You, if you contribute at the uh, $100 million level, we'll you, put your name oh, yeah. on the satellite when yeah. it's launched into space. Yeah. yeah. The original Kickstarter. <laughs> I, I don't think NASA is a Kickstarter project, but... Uh, not yet, but NASA will be doing Kickstarter <laughs> projects, I'm sure, sometime in the sometime near future. Sometime soon, yeah, yeah. Probably in the eight months SpaceX. before this comes out. Yeah. So what do we think about the TTH scale for these eight photos? I mean, we can talk about the TTH scale for the names first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally love the idea that they're, you know, the aliens are coming to get those, you know, are you... Hopefully, Jimmy don't Carter. Share a name well, with we any don't of these want. People. We're not. We're not interested in putting Jimmy Carter in danger. We're not. But really, by the time anybody gets here, so if you're a woman, you're be statistically out. more likely to be safe. Then there you go. There you one go. good thing. <laughs> you're, you're, thanks, you're, thanks for silver lining <laughs> that one, Hannah. Turns out women were just laying low <laughs> from the OSPs. Very clever. <laughs> well, we are, you know. Uh, otherwise, threat to humanity for the eight photos we talked about. Showing the rockets? It's a show of strength. Does it? you think it would make them come after us? It's like, oh, they've got technology to leave their atmosphere. They have to be taken out before they get too out of hand. Mm. And that, that is a lot, a large explosion going on under the under Titan. Yeah. It, it could also say we're, you know, in Star Trek terms, we're ready for contact. Oh, we don't have warp drive yet, though. Is that what it takes? Yeah. Sorry. All right. Hannah, can you walk us through the Star Trek <laughs> rules then? Because I'm afraid I'm a bit out of date. Um, the guy who invented warp drive? Zephram Cochran. Uh, he invented warp drive. And then once they had successfully f- launched their first uh, thing using the warp drive, uh, that's when the Vulcans landed and said, hey, you've got warp drive. Come be our friends. And so the United Federation of Planets was formed. And it's been all downhill for humanity ever since. Um, Fictional Because didn't, didn't then that cause the Borg to attack? It We're caused getting, a lot of things, but I think overall it's probably a net gain. We're getting real nerdy I mean, here on this tape. <laughs> uh, do you think that showing them our, our thin little puncturable space suits uh, is yeah, at all threatening to pickings, Just... Well, of course, of course he is like nearly planet sized. I mean, we're, we're not watching him <laughs> suffocate. There's nothing saying that There's, that's flimsy. That, that, that could be uh, thick, bulletproof, super Kevlar. I think it is Kevlar. No, it's. I no. Know, I, Adamantium. I, not very bendable. <laughs> no. 
No, it's a, it's a real thing. <laughs> back, back to I think, reality. Folks. I think for fabric you want vibranium. Oh, sorry, my bad. this part of the episode, we would go on to the second piece of music, but we're all out of songs. So instead, Roby, Hannah, and I are going to go through our long-promised wedding playlists we made out of the music of Earth. And we each took, I think, probably different rules to make these five selections. And so, Hannah, would you like to talk about how you made your choices? Okay. I chose three songs that I would like for the dance at the wedding, right? So, number one favorite, El Cascabel, the Mexican piece. That is very much a, uh, a dancey piece. Okay. Uh, and I'd love to have that one. Johnny Be Good is a classic, as well as, you might disagree, but the Melancholy Blues. I do not think it is a very sad piece. I think it is a good piece to swing dance to. I don't necessarily think... It's, it's certainly not the Cavatina for sadness, but... Uh, I, I mean, the, just the title, the Melancholy Blues. Right. People but, don't always know the titles of the songs exactly. they're winning. So, OSPs so you, don't know the titles. you got to tell the DJ not to say the title then. No, yeah. Do DJs even say titles? I, they I, did on the radio, but not at weddings. Have I, have I ever been in a room with a DJ? No. Yes. Get ready for the melancholy blues. Well, that's what I mean. That doesn't work, right? Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so those are my three dance pieces, I think, I would okay. like to have. And then I, I think walk down the aisle to Beethoven's fifth. I think that would be... That's the way to make an entrance. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. But it's not a really good walking rhythm. That's a trot. It's not a walk. You can just smoothly glide. Your your bride is going to be tripping. Don't. Sorry. Don't. Yeah. Are your choices that much better, Michael? We'll see. We'll see. They're terrible. Go anyway. And then I think I'd like to have the Beethoven String Quartet as a backup, just in case I get jilted at the altar. I think you want that sad piece uh, in your repertoire, just in case. I can't believe you have that. So I, I want to talk, but I can't believe you have a just in case you got jilted at the altar uh, in your in your wedding you list. You have a plan for all eventualities. Well, that does include why I included the rite of spring. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. Well, that, that segues us into your, your list. So how did you make your choices? I actually just lied. I did, uh, so my choices were entirely for dancing. Okay. Mine was just, hey, DJ. Put these in the right order so that everybody's dancing. I also included El Cascabel, Melancholy Blues, and Johnny Be Good. And uh, I reckon the Melancholy Blues is like the, the slowest dance of those. And then the other dance pieces that I included were the Pan Pipes and Drum and the Senegal per- Percussion oh. piece. All right. But I would quite happily stick uh, the Rite of Spring sacrificial dance right for the like the clearing the everybody go home now <laughs> moment that we always get at the end of weddings, you know, when it's just your drunk uncle and like three hangers on who just it's time for them to go. Yeah. That's when you play the sacrificial dance from the Rite of Spring. <laughs> okay. Well, for my playlist, I tried to pick a selection for the type of dance that was happening. So I, I was thinking after the ceremony, after the dinner. Uh, so I had, as the first dance for the couple was Pan Pipes and Drum Song from Peru. The romantic dance would be the Mugam by Camille Jaliyah from Azerbaijan. The Everybody Get Up and Dance is the Senegalese percussion, the Chen, Chen Akuman. The one where people dance with their grandma <laughs> was going to be The Fairy Round by Anthony Holborn. Oh. I almost put that in. 
And then the late night, uh, let's get everyone's energy up, dance dance is, yeah, El Cascabel by Lorenzo Barcelona. Since I have literally done Scottish country ga- dancing with my great aunt at a wedding. Damn. I totally, yeah, yeah, I'm on, on board for the... The fairy round, good one. Did you have another uh, rule that you applied to yourself that you want to... The other rule I gave myself was I wasn't going to use any music that I was aware of before starting this project. So Uh, I I ruled out Johnny B. Good and the Beethoven and the Bach before I even started. I also made myself a nice little mellow playlist. So maybe this is for like people chilling out before the wedding. Okay, let's hear it. Flowing streams. Yeah. 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 The bagpipes were actually... The Azerbaijani bagpipes were actually on my mellow playlist. Remember, they weren't bagpipes. Oh, sorry. The Azerbaijani... Not bagpipes. Nog, not bagpipes. Yeah. Pseudo bagpipes. Bagpipes in name only. The Mugam. Uh, the Indian piece, Jat Khan mm. Ho. Mm-hmm. Cranes in their nest. And then also the Bulgarian folk song, which I couldn't remember the name of. But I remember having uh, words yep. that we probably didn't want to... That was, the, that was yeah. That was the song about the folk hero fighting yeah. off the Turks. Yeah. Ah, yes. I nearly included the pygmy initiation song. So did I. Like that seemed like such a joyous thing, but then I thought about what it was about and decided <laughs> that I didn't really want to uh, encourage anybody by putting it in a wedding list. <laughs> I also noticed none of us included wedding song from Peru. Yeah, interestingly, no. none of us included the one. That's wedding. the one where she was tricked into getting married. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not quite the right tone. It really, really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah and I agree on this, although we chose something called Melancholy Blues. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Only, it's yeah. only melancholy in name. Exactly. And that's it. That's Thanks, our wedding playlists. That's all the music. That's every music piece of music, every photo. And with that, this podcast is complete. On behalf of Roby, Hannah, and myself, thank you for listening. We are especially grateful to all of you who've been with us for this whole journey. Please stay subscribed, as it is not impossible that we come back for an occasional reunion episode. It also may be the place to learn about our next podcast project. Before we go, there are a couple of special thanks we'd like to give. To Dr. David Simpson for reaching out and for willing to be interviewed for what may be my favorite episode. To Jen Wheatley, who helped us get the word out to the media and who designed our podcast icon as well as our website at earthsmixtape.com. To St. Mary's University in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada for hosting the podcast, allowing us to do it on company time, and for helping us get media notice. To the CBC, Radio Canada, and the Chronicle Herald for featuring us. And finally, to all of the lovely people who tweeted about the show and shared it online. Y'all are the best. We came up with this idea two years ago, and we're proud to finally see it completed. Talk to you soon.